Hello, everyone. This is episode number eight of Namaste, bitches. I'm really excited. We have Dion Monsanto on the episode today. She is a professional life coach, an African dance instructor. She's also a Bikram yoga instructor. That's how I know her. She's a vegan. She cooks amazing food. And she's on the New York board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. This is a really interesting, heartfelt uh, talk that I have with Dion. She's an amazing woman, so let's get right into it. Here's Dion. Um, all right, so we're starting, and we usually start with a piece of advice, but Dion, you wanted to start with a quote you really like. So what is the quote? It is a Truman Capote quote, and I say it often at the end of yoga class, and it's, failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. I like that a lot. Um, so tell me what that means to you. For me, I think all of us are so hard on ourselves about failing and not being good at something. But this gives failure a reason. So if you have failed at something, it's going to make your success taste that much better. Yeah. You know, if you like a hot dog, a tofu dog or whatever, you know, you put mustard on it, you put ketchup on it, you put sauerkraut on it. So there's some sort of condiment that you put on it that makes it taste better. So now you can look at your open quote failures at things that feed and fuel your success and make it feel that much better. It makes it so much more sweeter. Mm -hmm. And that just excites me. When I first read it, it was one of those combustible moments where your brain was like, oh, wow, that's so deep. You know. When you're in a place in your life where you're kind of experiencing failure, do you remember that? Or are you too bogged down in what's going on to remember that awesome quote? I would say it's a combination. I think I say it often. I try to rotate a few quotes that I like, but I say it often to the students when it comes up as something that I need to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think I ah, remind yeah. myself. So, so often students, whether they're, you know, dance students or yoga students will say, oh, that was so inspiring. Thank you. That quote spoke to me or something that they've said. And I tell them I'm reminding you as I'm reminding myself. So it's really great that other people benefit from what I'm telling them. Mm -hmm. But there are often things I need to tell myself. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a little thing about teaching that I feel like a lot of people don't know. It's like, I'm just telling you the things I do wrong. So totally. You, uh, we were talking earlier, your bread and butter is two things that you do is you're a yoga instructor and an African dance instructor. Mm -hmm. uh, you started doing African dance first, right? I did. Tell me about that. Well, African dance was something I came to because I had this cute little boy and it was my first child. It's like 23 years ago, 22 years. He's 22. So I'm pregnant 23 years ago. Who is also now a yoga instructor, by the way. He is. And he's eye candy. Just go take his class He's to an look at him. Man. <laughs> but um, I just felt I was pudgy. You know, I'm young. I'm in my twenties, and all of a sudden, I've lost my body. I had this baby. I needed to do something to get fit, and I knew I could take my son with me to African dance class. Mm -hmm. So I started attending African dance classes when he was like nine months old, and it truly um, became my drug of choice at that point. Mm -hmm. I started going once a week and then I found another class then I was going two or three times a week and it really became a place to center myself and one of my favorite teachers I now sub for her which is amazing to me to think that I started with her over 20 years and now I can teach a class for her even saying it I'm like ah, how is that possible but um 
she started the class with meditation. So I got so much more than I thought I was going for. So I just wanted to lose weight and get back into my body and have my kid with me and bond and got pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And I totally started out with two left feet. So I am such an example of persistence Uh and consistency and how it shows up for you. My favorite story with her, uh, she still teaches, Reverend Nafisa Sharif. And there was one time in a class, she looked at me and she goes, you dance like my sister. I was like, oh, wow, is she a good dancer? And she went, no. (laughs) And I laughed. And I said, but I put my heart in it. I did it. And, you know, I would say I'm strong and wrong. Two left feet. I'm still figuring out right and left. And as you know, when you're teaching dance or yoga, you're always mirroring somebody. So Mm -hmm. it's confusing what's right and what's left. But I'm always horrible at right and left. My kids know it. If you're in the car with me, you kind of look to see which way I'm pointing because I'll be pointing to the right, telling you to turn left. Yeah. You know? But um, it was it was great. And I started performing and teaching. So I've taught at colleges and I've taught in other states. I've performed. Oh, wow. I've done Dance Africa. Favorite show was like What's sold Dance out. What's Dance Africa? Oh, Dance Africa has been going on for 38 years now. Okay, cool. And it started by... Um, this elder, Baba Chuck Davis, he's almost 80 now. So 38 years ago, he had this great idea. And there was, African dance wasn't considered an art form in the same way all of the other mediums of dance were. Mm -hmm. So he really codified it as an art form and had this show at Brooklyn Academy of Music. So the first one was 38 years ago. And so getting to perform at Dance Africa is like the epitome. It's like if you're going to dance for, you know, any of the ballet companies at, you know, City Center or at Lincoln Center, wherever you're performing, it's like, oh, my God, I've gotten good enough that I can be on the stage for Dance Africa. Oh, cool. And now it's in several states. I, I don't want to misquote, but it's in at least four states um, aside from New York. But it did start in New York and they bring in a country excuse me, dancers from another country. in it was just in Africa at first, and then it became the African diaspora. So the company this year for Dance Africa 2015 was from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Last year was Madagascar. One year was Cuba. One year was Peru. One year was Uganda. So you get someone from another country, and then they teach classes, and you share from them, and you partner with them, and you see what African dance looks like in its art form in different countries and how it's transmuted and transformed. Mm-hmm. So it was just another thing that was um, life-changing for me. And it impacted the first time I performed and the energy you get from people and give from people. Because I'd already been on stage as a performer. You may or may not yeah, know I was, that. I yeah. was going to ask, is it different than other types of dance and performance? Like you said, your teacher uh, started with meditation is there always an element of meditation and no that was truly one of her special gifts Mm because it was it's something that grounds her Mm -hmm. so but she started off as a dancer she'd been on stage and performing since she was a teenager she was dancing um traveling professionally as a teenager and meditation grounded her so she said that's a little something she would add to classes opening and closing and it's something that stuck with me. At first, of course, you sit there counting your fingers, twiddling your toes, looking around at other people, like wondering how they're sitting so still. And then all of a sudden you notice you're being still and your eyes are closed. And when they say open your eyes and wiggle your toes and come back into the room, it was like, oh, I went somewhere. Who knew I could do that? 
So I learned so many skills about myself yeah. and being able to share it with, you know, with my children because I kept doing it over the years after, you know, getting married, having another kid, needing to lose more weight again. And, um, you know, so the kids learn, the yeah. kids dance, the kids drum. And it's a, it's a village. I love the village concept of um, we're all growing and learning together and supporting each other. That's so cool. How long have you been a teacher for? Um, African dance, I think I started teaching, gosh, Sule was in elementary school, Sule was four, da, 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 da. I'd have to go by kid, and think, I have to think in kid years. That's how my mom is. <laughs> so it's about, if he's 22, um, 22 take away five. All right, so it's been about 17, 18 years. That's great. Yeah, because he was in kindergarten when I started teaching. I got drafted into it. I, they knew oh, I danced. Really? And somebody put in a newsletter that the new African dance teacher was going to have a performance in the Martin Luther King Jr. concert with the kids. So I'm reading this in the newsletter going, oh, so I guess I have to have choreography because the kids are performing. It was in writing, so I guess it was true, mm -hmm. even though no one had discussed it with me. <laughs> and that became a tradition at the school. Oh, and cool. I did that for eight years at their elementary school. And I still teach there on occasion. I taught last year there. Do you include fun. meditation in your classes as well when I do adults I do with the mm -hmm. kids the classes are so short when I'm at an elementary school I don't have the time yeah what I wind up doing with the kids is having them be still for a minute and we'll talk and I'll just have them take a couple of breaths mm -hmm. so it won't be a whole you know close your eyes settle into your body blah 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 it won't be a longer guided thing because I was like I have these kids for less than an hour and it's like herding kittens when they're in elementary school so just have them sit still breathe and because they're so full mm -hmm. with little kids, I wind up having them go out, go around in a circle and get it out. Mm -hmm. They're transitioning. There's something they need to say. So everybody gets to say one thing. So it'll be like, I was mad at lunch because I wanted another apple and they wouldn't give me another apple. And I was just really mad. They wouldn't give me the apple. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. But they feel better. They got it off their chest. Mm -hmm. So with the babies, that's what I do. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, we have a Namaste Bitches podcast Facebook group. Oh, wow. And uh, we just, uh, about five of us just did a meditation challenge where we decided we would meditate for 10 minutes a day for five days in a row. And a lot, like me included, we were all like, yeah, it's going well. I mean, I keep checking my phone after about five minutes, <laughs> but other than that, it seems to be fine. I don't really, like, I think the only one who was like, I get it. I'm in my body is my sister because she's an art therapist and and she's yeah. moved to San yeah. Francisco, so sh she's a hippie. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, as a yoga instructor, I feel like I should know more about meditation or be far more disciplined about it than I actually am. Do you have a daily meditation practice? Honestly, I don't. I would say my yoga has become it. And you're doing yoga daily, right? I, I am. I'm are are up you to... trying to hit a certain number? I am. I know you're counting. <laughs> I am counting. How today, many? Today mm. was one, what was up on the sign? One, I forgot. I don't remember. I think it's 133. Yeah, yesterday was 132. Today was 133. And because when I did it before, I made it to 239 days in a row. I basically just want to break that. I want to mm. get to 240 days in a row. But my goal is really just to practice every day because mm -hmm. that's my meditation. There is time in my class. And when I notice things bother me in class, something about my practice that I couldn't do mm -hmm. or, or someone in the room is doing something that disturbs me, I want to center myself. And I'm like, Dion, that's your yoga today. 
the person that's fidgeting, you need to be centered regardless of that person fidgeting. Mm -hmm. You need to magnify your stillness and your breathing. And so the people around you will get sucked into your stillness. Don't get sucked into their fidgeting. Don't get sucked into that person. So there's something that happens there. But there are moments if I have time before or after class that I do allow myself to melt into the floor and meditate and just breathe and, and focus. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. It works for me. And you got certified. You are also a Bikram Yoga instructor. I am. There's a lot of Bikram Yoga instructors on Namaste Bitches because... Uh, we're cool. We're cool. We're cool. And uh, But you got certified three years ago. What... What made you go from like just regular because you were practicing really regularly before you? I, w- I was. Um, the transition for me is I'd done a week, I want to say in 2006, and basically I got pneumonia. I had a really bad case of pneumonia. I was hospitalized. I couldn't go back to African dance. I could barely walk up and down my stairs. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered in the dialogue the teacher saying something about healing your lungs and your respiratory system. Mm-hmm. And that's was like, okay, because the idea of sitting at home and just resting and healing was beyond my capacity. I couldn't imagine doing that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can go do yoga because it's going to help my lungs heal. And then I could go back to dance. And again, I walked in the room to heal my lungs and I got so much more. It really felt like it was a magical space in there that helped me ground and center and... Was Bikram Yoga Harlem your first studio? It wasn't my first studio, but it became my home. So Bikram Yoga Harlem, when I walked in, it was July 2010. And um, I walked in and said, I'm going to do a 30-day challenge. I literally walked in because that's what I needed to do. And it was Adam who was at the desk. And Adam was like, you know, Adam, he's like, okay, let's get you set up. Let's go. And I signed up and I did it. Then I went off to... Uh, Africa for a couple of weeks on vacation with the family and came back and did some days in my month. But the important part to me was to commit to myself enough Mm -hmm. to have 90 minutes in my day with no cell phones, no kids, no husband, no friends, no knocking, no emails, just me. Yeah. It's a luxury. It is. Yeah. We, sometimes I think, I, I feel like it's like, oh, I have to take yoga today. You don't really have to, do No, you. no. You get to. Yeah. It's a privilege. It is. It's kind of, it's really special. And because I love the studio so much, Bikram Yoga Harlem, I'm really clear that they're family. I'm excited to walk in there and when somebody walks in, like I jumped on you. Yeah. And I was like, oh was my God. It was pretty nice. <laughs> was, oh, I can't get my legs around her enough. I can't pick her up. I can't get close enough. But it's people walk in and it feels like this. like, oh, look who's here. Oh, look who's here. Oh, look who's here. I get to practice with my family and people that I've grown to love over the years. Mm-hmm. It's special. How great is Dion's speaking voice? I could just listen to her talk all day long. I feel like I need to get her narrating something just so I can listen to it. I love what she said about meditation of how, or her practice or meditation about uh, sucking people into her stillness instead of getting sucked into other people's fidgeting or drama, which is something that I feel like I can work on in life, you know, instead of getting into someone else's mess, just... Just, you know, be myself and let them get sucked into what I'm doing. And, by the way, I said earlier in the podcast that I think the only person who got something out of the meditation was my sister. I take that back. As soon as I said it out loud, I was like, that's not true at all. 
Um, and thank you guys again all for participating in that. And I think everyone got a little something out of it. And I'm just curious, have you guys still been meditating? Me, not so much. But um, if you have and you found more things about it, maybe post about it on the Facebook page, Namaste Bitches. Um, just a thought, you know, throwing it out there. But yeah, let's get back to Dion. Uh, we talk a little bit more about uh, how she got into being a yoga instructor. And uh, yeah, so here we go. What made you decide to become a yoga instructor? I was totally sick of corporate America. I was absolutely over it. What was your job before you were a yoga instructor? I was actually, my degree is in accounting, so I still like playing in numbers. I'm a numbers nerd. I like Excel. I like playing in Excel. I like numbers. I like math. You're weird. I know. The other day I was like, because basically now I run my own small business. I was like, I got to learn how to do a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. They didn't teach me that in acting school. No. Yeah. No, you don't play in numbers in acting no. school. We should talk. I we, mean, not on the podcast about okay. numbers. All right. But yeah. I, I like numbers. I played in numbers. I was at Morgan Stanley for almost 18 years. Oh, wow. And um, I'd had, had a pretty big tragedy in my life. I, I lost one of my children to suicide. And um, that was something that I truly needed grounding in. And again, I'll come back to Adam because uh, the day after she died... I wanted to go to yoga, and um, my partner at the time, he was like, go to yoga. And I felt like there was something else I need to be doing, and I'm like crying, I was like, I just want to go to yoga. And he was like, go to yoga. And I walk in, I didn't tell Adam what had happened. I just said, Adam, um, someone really close to me died, and I'm gonna go in the back corner, so when I'm crying, I'm not hyperventilating, but I just, I need to be here. And again, Adam, okay, okay. And he did it. And of course, a family member came by because they knew I was there. People were coming into the house. And he came over at one point and he actually whispered to me. And you know, traditionally in our studio, you stay in the room the whole time. But being sensitive to what I told him had happened, he came over and he whispered to me, your brother is here. Do you want to go speak to him? And I'm bawling. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm shaking my head no. I'm going to stay in the room. And he's like, okay. So he must have went and told him, and he waited outside, and I spoke to him after class, but that was my solace, and I think, and it, it really has been mm-hmm. my place of peace since 2011, June 30th, 2011, because she died June 29th, 2011, so it'll be four years this year, and that made me just about religious with it, because it was my place of peace. People, mm-hmm. I'd have a house full of people before I went to the funeral home. Before I went home, I'd leave people in my house going like, ah, thanks for coming by. I'm going to yoga now. Wow. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And I'm blessed to have such a good village and there was so much love around me, but I needed time just to be still and be with me. Yeah. That's so good of you to take that time for yourself, especially during all that. Oh, I had to fight for it. Yeah. I had to fight for it, but I needed it. People were like, I came by your house and I left food. I hope you guys like, I'm sorry. This is what I had to do for me. Uh-huh. That's so great that you listened to that instinct. Mm-hmm. So you practice regularly after your daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. And then how long after that did you go to training? So she died June 29, 2011. My practice was very regular. And then April of 2012 was when I went. And I basically had been on medical leave for a while. 
Uh And I went back to work because I couldn't stay on medical leave forever. And um, because I was sick when she died. So I was recovering from pneumonia when she died. So I was on medical leave. So I never really took bereavement because I was on medical leave when Mm -hmm. she died. I went back to work. I know. And then I got sick again. Oh, my God. Some fancy disease called pyelonephritis. You know, medical people out there, maybe you know what that means. I'd never heard of it. It's basically like a blood infection. My blood was damn near septic. So I had a big high fever, couldn't figure it out, went to the hospital. And because I'm a Bikram yogi, they were like, you look great. You look healthy. Why is my fever 104 point something? You know, Um, did a whole bunch of tests. They sent me home. I came back. I mean, they sent me home. Then they called and said, no, 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 you got to come back right now and start on antibiotics. And that was like August. And um, so I was on medical leave for an even longer time to recover from the second illness. And once I finally bit back to work, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. this, this shit doesn't matter. I'm doing numbers. They're going on paper, but it doesn't make a difference in people's lives. You're so cool. (laughs) (laughs) You're so inspiring. Yeah. And they were, luckily for me, they were laying people off and um, I basically raised my hand. Oh, wow. I raised my hand. I went to the head of HR and I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, I know you're laying people off. I know my name wasn't on the list, but could it be on the list? Because I I don't want to do this. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't make myself care. And I know I need to care. I know what the work load is like and if they're laying people off there's going to be a bigger workload and I can't make myself jump in that way anymore and Morgan Stanley was unbelievably supportive they'd sent me food people they announced it at a global HR town hall like the firm as a whole was like oh my god look what happened to somebody in our village so they really took it seriously they came out they came to my house Um, there's a woman at Morgan Stanley, the first black MD, Carla Harris. She's a singer as well. She sang at Carnegie Hall. She's the first black MD as in... At Morgan Stanley, yeah. Med- what is MD stand for? Oh, managing director, sorry. Okay. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Me- Medic? She, she's yeah, a doctor? She, she's a doctor. Yeah. She's I'm the sorry. first doctor? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've been ahead. in financial services all my life, yeah. right? So she's singing at Carnegie Hall and dedicated a song to me, you know? Oh, wow. And people there. So, I mean, they really, really cared. It was a good village, but I was like... I don't, I feel like my wiring has changed Mm -hmm. and I got something from the yoga and I want to give it back to people. So when they said yes, and my last day was in March of 2012 and I had mentioned to Adam, I think I might want to do it before I had put the application in. Adam was like so amazing. He'd handed me my letter of recommendation. I was like, Oh, I guess I better fill out my application then. Uh Um, you know, and they said yes. And I'd gotten a package from Morgan Stanley. So it was like the perfect transition. So I left in March. I went to training in April. And um, voila, this really cool chick, Abigailia, came to visit me while I was in training. No big deal. <laughs> Got me we, off campus. We went for Mexican food. It we was did. very exciting. It was. It was. But um, that, was, that was the transition for me. I, I needed something. And I knew that was the perfect time to transition. Because you get a free pass to be, you know, self-employed or finding yourself when you've been laid off. Yeah. And um, and I found myself. So great. Yeah. It, it was really great for me. And it, it still has been. I love it with every fiber of my being. How often are you teaching right now? Now, 
since I, I think I just got up to like eight classes a week. Yeah. I taught a dance class. Yeah, I taught a dance class this week and and eight yoga classes. You know, I oh, taught wow. at another studio. Friend owns another studio with in Connecticut. With a daily practice. Yeah, with, with a, a daily, daily practice. practice. And cooking food and being vegan and being a mom and being a landlord and trying to date. This dating thing is what let's oh, not talk about. Oh, you're dating that. again? Oh. Yeah. I know. Uh, Send me a sympathy dear, card. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you all about dating. I've been doing it forever. OMG. This is why people stay with people, this dating yeah. thing. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it can be very exciting. If you look at each day as an adventure, as one friend, when I started, I did online dating for a long time, mm-hmm. and one of my friends kind of pointed out to me, he's like, listen, you like talking to people. They'll always, you, if worst case scenario, you'll have a fun conversation with a weird person. <laughs> so when you kind of approach it like that, instead of like, I'm trying to find the one, it can be like, I'm just going to have coffee with someone I wouldn't talk to otherwise. I don't know how you're meeting people, yeah, but yeah. that's how Well, that's we've how done I Tinder so far. Yeah. So we've had, we've met three people off Tinder. One was an absolute no. <laughs> Two were yeses. And, um, but one just lived so far away. I was like, I got to look at the mileage because our worlds don't overlap. Yeah. So there's one possible yes. Like I literally just went out with him this week. So we'll see. Oh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh gosh. You get so much done. Me and Natalie were talking about on the last podcast, um, how when you're teaching full-time, like mm-hmm. when you're teaching eight or ten classes a week, how it's hard to stick around for round three. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how how do you find, I guess, just because you want to do yoga, you do it. It's a part of the want. And I remember because um, today, another, today I know you taught the eight, which yep. I took. It yep. was amazing. Thank you. You took ten, and then you came back and taught the 430. Yep. yep. And, and you've squeezed me into your schedule. Thank you so much. You're important. Thank you. Um for me, what I'd said, like well, hey, we didn't mention this, so people will know I'm a, I'm an entirely action-packed, energetic sixty inches. I'm five <laughs> feet tall. I've been five feet tall since I was eleven years old, and I'm damn near fifty. But um, I have a big spirit. I'm really big on the inside. So I mentioned that because at one point I was over two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I've been everything from a size six to a two X at sixty inches. At this point in my life, I'm honestly more afraid of being sick and fat than I am of being tired. So part of it is a physical commitment. And because I I honestly have had a couple of near-death experiences. Okay. The pneumonia that I had was serious enough that they basically, what I had was Legionnaire's disease. Okay. So my doctor, because I'd gone back to work, he's like, do you understand that you nearly died? Do you get that? Like you had no symptoms. You had no cold. You just had a fever and you couldn't breathe. It took them almost took me took them over three days to figure out what the hell I had mm-hmm. and start me on antibiotics. But I was on oxygen all the time because I couldn't breathe. And he said that's what it was. People were walking around, they were fine, and then they died. Yeah. So and then you have the blood infection. So it's like okay, okay, stress kills. Yeah. And I was dealing with, you know, my daughter's depression and caring for her. Because, you know, this is the long version. The students that know me at Bikram Yoga Harlem, I have this one paragraph condensed. But this is all the undergirth of what happened, how I gained 80 pounds Mm -hmm. caring for my daughter um, with her depression and her suicidal ideations and her repeated hospitalizations. And so I really had to learn to take care of myself. 
So after kneeling, dying a couple of times, yeah. I feel like, ah, I could be sleepy because I know the yoga is going to help me stay balanced and healthy. That's beautiful. You know, you get some perspective when you nearly die. Yeah. So, and I'm thankful, like, these weren't, I'm not dealing with a cancer, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not dealing with something that is, you know, they were possible terminal illnesses, but not long-term. Yeah, you don't have anything chronic. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Yeah, nothing chronic. So I was like, okay, so I know there's magic in the hot room, and that's just my belief. Mm -hmm. There's magic in the hot room, so I'm just going to go get some magic. Yeah. I'm going to go get some magic, and I'm going to be all better. Did your son come to teaching on his own, or did you encourage that? That's a good story, too. I like stories. <laughs> um, Sule, my amazing firstborn son that teaches. Um, He's an amazing teacher, too. Yeah, I love him so. He was semi-interested. He's always been a physical person. If you like astrology, we're both Aries. Um, we're both bullheaded. And uh, we get along most of the time. <laughs> Because we, I under, I think mostly because I understand what it is to be Aries, and I know how to approach him because it's me, and I know what won't work with me, so I won't try that with him. Yeah. So it, it, there's a balance. But um, he was trying to figure some things out. Now clearly, I lost my daughter, so he lost his sister. Yeah, rough time for him. And first year of college, horrible because he went off to college six weeks after she died. Oh wow. And I was like, this is not going to be a good thing. He's like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, what do I do? So he felt like he had to do something and he tried and it didn't go well. So this was a part of the failure Mm -hmm. for him, right? Going back to that Truman Capote quote, because he bombed his first year in college. I said, let's come home. Let's figure some things out. Let's Let's take some time to heal. And I basically made him an offer. And I said, look, come to yoga. Everybody should try it. I gave both my, I have another son. And so I gave both my sons a week. Sule did six out of the seven days. Eric might have did four out of the seven days. And then they had a deal of 30 days for $30. Mm-hmm. And Sule did 29 of the 30 days. Adam, again, he shows up in my life a lot. Adam approached me and he goes, you know, he's kind of coming a lot. So you don't have to pay for this. You should probably talk to him about being a work study. Oh, and see if cool. he wants to be a work study. That way he can get his classes for free. And just so people know, work study is when you work at the yoga studio for like three hours mm-hmm. to five hours a week and you get free classes. Yeah. It's a really cool program. A lot of yoga studios do it. If you want to try yoga and you've got a small budget, I did it for I did it all through college. Oh nice. Yeah. I think I've bought two class packages in my ten years of practicing wow. yoga yeah because wow. I just became a work study mm-hmm. and then went straight into being a yoga teacher but back to Sule back to Sule so Sule after doing that and being the work study and trying to figure it out and he was trying to look at what he was going to do and Aries we don't like being pressured mm-hmm. we don't like being pushed so I said okay I'm just going to make you an offer we're going to talk about this one time here's going to be my deal I'm never going to mention it again I said you seem to like the yoga Training is coming up, so my suggestion or offer is you go to training, you know, I'll pay for it, you come out, you can start working, and I said, but I'm never going to mention it again. you got to think about it and see if you want to do it. If you want to do it, we'll figure it out, and we'll make it happen. I'll pay for it. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. And he thought about it. Um, he likes traveling. He's an artist. Um, he's working on graphic arts design now. And I presented it. I said, it's going to be a great package for what you want to do in life. It's portable. 
you know, you can, if you choose to go back to college, you can still do this while you're in college. If you choose to live somewhere else, there's studios everywhere. He had lots of friends where um, he was going to school, a college in Maryland before. Mm-hmm. Um, he was seeing someone that lived down there that was pre-med. And I said, you know, if you guys stay together and she goes off, whatever med school she goes to, there's going to be a Bikram yoga studio near there. You can teach. Whatever you're going to do, it's portable. Think about it. He didn't say anything to me for a while. It mm-hmm. took him over a month, and he basically came back to me and said, you know, I was thinking about what you said, and yeah. Eyes pop open. It's like, I see a lot of things. What are you talking about? What did I say? <laughs> and he, um, he's like, the yoga thing, teacher training. Yeah, I want to do it. I was like, oh, okay. And we got on it. We made it happen. And, um, and he's a good teacher. Aww. He's a good teacher. He likes it. Um, like all teachers, sometimes you get frustrated with your students' potential and you like you see stuff in them, you want to pull it out. It's so nice to have him as my son and a peer. It gave us yeah. another level to our relationship. I understand his work. He understands my work. And yeah. you know, every once in a while it was like, What was your class like? How was it? And he goes, Oh, I couldn't get this person to do. How did you get this person to do, you know? whatever. Mm-hmm. I was explaining lock the knee like this. How do you explain lock the knee? Mm-hmm. Uh, da, da, da. And taking different people's classes. And it's, it's really great. He's a peer. Aw. I like him. That's so cool. Yeah. Yoga is a family event for Dion. How cool is that? I love how when she talked about her practice and going every day and on top of all of her other life commitments, her motivation was that she, you know, she's been sick and she's more afraid of being sick and fat than of being tired, which, you know, whatever weight you want to be is fine. But I, I personally, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I can't. But, you know, you make time for things, don't you? If you really want to do something, you make time for things. Uh, speaking of making time for things, I w- am still in the States and am in New York and will be doing a preview of my Edinburgh Fringe Show at the Creek in the Cave on the 28th and 29th of June at the Creek in the Cave. You can go to creeklic.com. It's also on my website, abigalia.com. If you want to come, if you want more details, the show is free. It's at 7 p.m. I'd really love to see you there. Um, It's a good time. And, uh, you know, that afternoon, both days, I'll go and take yoga at Bikram Yoga Harlem beforehand. So maybe come to that too. I don't know. Anyways, let's get back to Dion. Now we get talking into how she became a life coach, which I just think is fascinating. The more she talked about being the life coach, the more I was like, I want a life coach. I want someone to help keep me on track like this. And maybe I'll reach out to Dion and ask her to be my life coach because, quite frankly, she already is. She sometimes has me over for awesome vegan dinners and just tells me about life and how the like listen to her she just she's a wealth of knowledge all right I'm done talking and yammering on just let's let's listen to Dion tell me a little bit because you also are a life coach yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um life coaching when did you get certified to be a life coach life coaching I got certified in 2009 yeah 2000, yeah, February of 2009. Um, my life is riddled with deaths. Adam always says, like, you need, people need to stop dying in your life. It's like, I want you to have a month or a weekend where you're not going to a funeral. I was <laughs> like, yeah, that would be nice. Um, in 2009, I had a lot of deaths. So I graduated in 2009 and didn't really get to focus 
on a lot of the coaching um, that I wanted to because I had 13 deaths from February on. Whoa. Yeah. It's. Do you have a lot of older people in your family? Um, it was, I was married at the time, so it was my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my grandfather, my father, my daughter's grandfather, and aunts. So some were older, some weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, some had had cancer. Um, yeah, Uncle Jackie. Uh, yeah, Bashir. Some were just sudden that were older. It was it was really random, weird, yeah. and painful. Yeah. Um, but the coaching for me, I think I start what I need. So I live in a house, and I moved into my house in 99. So I was coaching before I knew I was coaching. Mm-hmm. So I started this group uh, for women called Full Moon Gatherings. And my concept was that every woman just needed a safe place to be. And I invited a bunch of people. And people are always like, I don't know what the hell Dion is up to, but let's go see what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And because I had no guideline and we just sat and we talked and I would start with a meditation and we would go around the circle and we'd set up goals and support each other in reaching these goals. And um, I did that. Yeah, I did that for 10 years before I went to training. Because mm. I started that in 99 and I didn't go into um, the women certification. The in your, did you call it the full moon group? Mm-hmm. Full moon gatherings, full FMG. Moon gatherings, were they women from like Morgan Stanley or your church? Or Good how question. You... I, I sent it out since I've always had a bunch of worlds. It went to my dance world. Um, I was in theater, so I've been on stage since I was five. So I sent it to people in my theater company. So theater background, dance background. And corporate background, mm-hmm. just everybody I knew from different places. So they all came in. They knew me from one way or another, cultural something. And um, that went on for over 10 years. We had a 10-year retreat, went to Costa Rica, did some other place as well. We used to go to Vermont on occasions, and it just went on for a long time. So I became certified during all of that. And so I didn't know I was coaching. Mm-hmm. I was just, this is what I needed. I created it, and then I found out you can make money doing this. How cool is that? Yeah. I was doing this for free, and now I can make money doing it? I love it. Um, and it's, I mean, that's the ideal, yeah. to get paid for something that you love to do and would do for free, and I'd been doing it for free for years. Yeah. And um, so that was great. And I did, with all the drama and trauma in my life, I did stop the full moon gatherings, and we did have someone from another country, so it became an international group, which was cool. And it traveled and whatnot because we had someone in Egypt at the point that would only come on occasion because she didn't um, come to New York. Yes, because she lived in Egypt. Couldn't expect her to be there once a month. But um, that that was powerful and impactful for me to see the difference I could make in people's lives from this. And um, so I do have coaching clients now. I had coaching clients during teacher training. Don't tell anybody since you're not supposed to work while you're in teacher training. And... um, um, but just one, as so I would work on Sundays, since that was the only day we had off, as you know. Um, and it was nice that she stayed with me and dealt with having um, having me only on Sundays. I did stop coaching, of course, after my daughter died. Everything stopped. There was no work. It was just healing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm onboarding a new client, and a um, few people have asked. And I'll probably start up the group dynamic again, because a few people have asked about that. What is the process of becoming a life coach? What do you... There, there are lots of really different schools. don't really know what a life coach is. We'll like, do a sample session. Okay. The, um, well, the fun thing about it, okay, the, 
way that I talk to people about it so they'll get it mm -hmm. is like when you go to the gym and you hire a trainer, you want somebody that's really good at something that's going to take you from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. You can go to the gym and push yourself a little bit, but you want somebody that's going to push you beyond your limits. Yeah. And you might not do that for yourself. So the same thing with a life coach. And I actually know people that are therapists and life coach. So the difference between that would be you take someone that's, you know, open quote, healthy. You know, you're emotionally healthy and somewhat balanced, whatever that means in this world, mm -hmm. but you want to get better. You're good, but you want to be great. You're great, but you want to be excellent. You're trying to move yourself up a notch. Mm -hmm. Things are good, but you know there's more mm -hmm. and you want to access the more. So you hire a coach to help guide you to that place because there's something that they can see that you can't see. Same thing with the teachers. There's something they could see in you. Like you used to compete in yoga, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody saw something in you that said, you know what? You should think about doing this thing yeah. because you're this strong or you're this flexible. So with the coaching, someone will be interested in something. There's an aspect that they're struggling with and they feel like I need someone that's, you know, that can help me grow this area. You know, if you're hiring a landscaper for your garden, they're going to help me make this more beautiful. Mm -hmm. I could do it on my own but I want some support and to get myself there within a certain time frame. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. And so you have you have some clients now and mm -hmm. you're gonna start a group session soon? Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, and how long is the process to become a um, life coach? I wanna say the training. Cause you said there's more than one version of training? Yeah, cause I think I've seen things online now so mine was done with um, Leadership That Works. Absolutely loved my two teachers because one of the teachers was one of the founders of the organization, Leadership That Works, mm. and um, her life partner, which we didn't know till later on in it, but they worked together. And she was amazing. Turned out after the fact, I found out she, um, that we knew people in common. You know, the world is so small. It's like we're all cousins. Yeah. We're all cousins. But it was such a small world, really connected with her and learned a lot. And I, if I remember correctly, it was a nine-month process. We would have weekly sessions. We'd meet once a month in person. There were sessions on the phone. There was homework. There was lots of practice coaching. You needed to set up sample sessions a lot, figure out you know your elevator speech, business cards. They would just set you up to be ready to market and move forward when mm -hmm. you were done because these were people that were living this way and wanted to share the gift that they had um, with other people. And Virginia, I liked, and I, what connected to her, because I like nonprofit, I like grassroots, I like helping. And Virginia really, she had this way of, she's a gardener and she likes working with the earth. So she said she wanted to be almost like a weed, something that would infiltrate the world and grow and impact everyone. And she wanted to be able to put this tool mm -hmm. of, you know, coaching and analysis in the hands of people everywhere. So she was really big and would have the opportunity to coach a nonprofit, to coach an executive director at a nonprofit. So they'd have these skills to for their employees or a nonprofit hire you as a coach so they would coach, you know, their employees and give them these skills and empowering people. So it's like you're always helping people with the yoga, with the coaching to go back and impact other people in their lives. Mm -hmm. So it just expands exponentially in the quality of living that people have and the quality. And that impacts us as individuals, because if we're all helping and healing, then the people we meet with on the train when we're driving, when we're walking, 
are hopefully that much more grounded in themselves and healthy. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I love it. I really love my, I have a hashtag like I love my life. Yeah. I love my job. Well, your your blog is uh, enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's often a hashtag you use as mm-hmm. well, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty beautiful. It's why I had a mantra at some point, and I, I don't remember who said we needed to create a mantra, but it was really long, and it was like a Stephen Covey something, like if you were coming up with a mission statement or a mantra, it should be really short. So I looked at what the longer mantra was, and the last part of it was, I am living my life in joy. And I think I have it on the blog or the Twitter page that enjoy is the adverb that modifies my life. It's the lens through which I see the world. Mm-hmm. So if I'm experiencing something, I'm going to find the piece of joy in it. Yeah. You know, in the weirdest or worst sense, and it's hard to explain to people, I would be 400 pounds with one leg, one arm, and one eye to have my daughter back. But I can't have her back. But I can live my life in such a fashion to make her proud and to impact other people so they can connect to their joy. Because she, as someone that was living with depression, wasn't able to connect to her joy. Mm-hmm. So that becomes, you know, my mission, my modus operandi, my my reason for being and giving back. It's something, it's the gift that I can give to other people. Yeah. If you're with and around me, you experience joy. Yeah. I can share that with you. Because you spell it too, you spell it I-N-J-O-Y. Yeah. Yeah, because you're in it. And you're it's just... In joy. I'm just such a physical, tangible, touchy-feely person that enjoy seems separate in. It's like I'm in it. Yeah. I'm experiencing it. I'm, I'm experiencing this enjoy. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. If you want to experience a little more enjoy with Dion, you can follow her on Twitter at Joyous Ocean. At Joyous Ocean. You can also follow me at Twitter at Abigailia. Of course, I'll do this all at the end of the podcast as well. And I just want to remind you guys about the Facebook group, Namaste's Bitches Podcast. Oh, let's do another challenge soon. I don't know what. If you guys have some ideas, throw something up there. Let's get active. Let's build a community. You know, share the podcast with your friends. Rate and review it on iTunes. Do all that, please, because the more you share, the bigger community we can create. And I don't know, some sort of difference we can make. Let's start a movement. I don't know what kind of movement. We'll figure it out. A positive one, a healthy one, a happy one. In this last segment, Dion talks about getting involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Seaway Project, which is a project named after her daughter. Dion, for me, Dion has always been really open about the death of her daughter and very giving and open and good energy. She just has so much time for everyone and she's so giving of that time through everything she's experienced and I just think it's really beautiful. So let's get back into that. When did you uh, get on the board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention? That was, we're in 2015 now, so I want to say, 2014, da da da, it was April and May, so it was spring 2014, because uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is one of the leaning nonprofits that does research and education around suicide prevention nationally. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's some international work as well, but a larger footprint in America. And working with them, 
I was already fundraising. I was already doing all the walks. Um, I kept looking for things to do, do bigger and better. Up? I do have a walk coming up. The overnight walk is a big 16 to 18 mile walk. So it's mm-hmm. almost a marathon of walking. And it's called the overnight because you literally walk from the night into the daylight. You start the walk at dusk and walk all night. And at sunrise, pretty much the walk ends and you have a conversation and there's a closing ceremony. And uh, it's beautiful and sad that you're walking with literally thousands of people that have been impacted by the same thing. Mm -hmm. And all the funds go to the research uh, in preventing suicide and and advocating for, you know, laws and education (laughs) and training in schools. So it's really fun um, to be able to speak at different places now Mm -hmm. and impact people and support families that are living through it and move people away from guilt and acceptance. Yeah. I, I absolutely believe and feel in my core, no, no matter what we're doing, no matter how crazy it might seem, at every given moment, we're doing the best we can do with the information we have. Mm-hmm. And if people had more information, they would do better. So we share a lot of information and all the funds that we raise help with that. Um, so the other walks coming up, I've been on the board since spring of last year. I'm the walk chair. I was the walk chair for 2014. I'm the New York City walk chair for 2015 because there's a national walk and then each city has local walks. Mm -hmm. So there's a walk in Manhattan in October and the national walk, the overnight, that's like 18 miles is going to be the end of the month, June. Yeah, it's in Boston. You're doing this at the end of the month? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'll be in Boston June 26th and 27th. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's in June because um, I have a big way of commemorating and acknowledging you know, my loss. And just always, again, finding a good way to be at peace with this is what I can do. Yeah, I want to live my life in the way that I'm looking at what I can do and what I have as opposed to what I don't have. Yeah, wow. It's just gonna take a moment <laughs> Breathe. well I remember um, I don't I doubt you even remember this conversation I think it was shortly after we met uh, my dad had died and I hadn't really talked to a lot of people about it and we were both at uh, Bikram Yoga Grand Central and I was like doing some work and you were kind of getting dressed after class talking to me and you know how like you're just in a bad mood you're just in a awful mood mm-hmm. and you were talking I was like why is this woman talking to me my fucking dad's dead <laughs> fucking talking to me and shows up to talk to me. like you and like, there's no reason why you mm-hmm. should know what's going on to me and you were and you're just kind of talking and you go you know sometimes you just have to get out of your own shit and I was like yeah <laughs> yeah because I'm definitely in my own shit right now it's like you just you just like poof, appeared in my life to say the most perfect thing. Oh, wow. And it was like, it, yeah, I don't know if I've ever told you no, that. No, you didn't. Okay, well, I've told other people that wow. story. Wow, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was reading, I was looking at your blog uh, before you came over, and I did find one where you were talking about how sometimes the grief just hits you, and you're like, gotta gotta have your glasses, gotta have your kit, gotta... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know my glasses. I came in with them on, but yeah. definitely... Yeah. But uh but the grief yeah. toolkit. Yeah, I just I find it really beautiful how I, since I've known you you've always been very open about your daughter's death. Mm-hmm. But like always just talking about her in a very positive beautiful mm-hmm. way and I feel like you const- you're commemorating her and like just living a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. 
with her at all the all mm-hmm. the time and I just find it really inspiring. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. It it does my heart well. And I had it's June and because it's coming up and I know it's coming up, I prepare myself and uh today I was at my niece's recital and she's a dancer and my daughter without exaggeration never missed a show. Hmm. Like she was like, do I have to go to school? Because she has a... Re-. I'm like, are you serious right now? But because I knew she was dealing with depression and I know these things brought her joy, I'd be like, fine, go. And she was always just one of the smartest kids in the class. So it was like, missing school is not going to be a big deal. Go to the recital. You'll make up the work. Like, She's always the youngest kid in the class and in the top 10% academically. So mm-hmm. it was like, you can miss a day and go to your niece's, re- my cousin's recital. Um, so I'm in the recital. I'm sitting in the audience and I'm like welling up with tears. The recitals are rough. They're beautiful. You know, I'm a dancer, I'm an actress, and I'm watching the kids. And it was with the Harlem School of the Arts at Aaron Davis Hall. And I was in Harlem School of the Arts practicing and studying their theater and dance when I was a teenager, junior high school. Um, I've, I don't think I've taught there now that I think of it, but I've performed there so many times and there are all these different things. So in so many levels, and I've performed on that stage. My daughter's performed on that stage. So you're just like sitting in a well of memories. And I really, I, I sat in the audience and I'm like, and my sister's sitting next to me and I see her looking at me to see if I'm okay. And I just acknowledge, I was like, it's beautiful. You mm-hmm. know, my daughter's name is Seaway. So one of my hashtags is Seaway Lives. Um, the nonprofit my girlfriend started is the Seaway Project. And um, we have something coming up in July. But I keep going like she's here. She doesn't miss a show, which means she's here watching somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and it was great. And it was such a good show. And I experienced all these things and share them. And, you know, I have a tattoo in her honor, my one and only tattoo. And it's a butterfly. And I, you know, look at that and it'll remind me. And it was like it's and it's OK to be in your feelings. And I will tell people I'm good until I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay to cry. And even as I sat in the audience, it's funny you mentioned that blog because I was like, I felt around my bag to see if where my glasses were to have them ready. Yeah. Because for me, when you're in that moment, and I think a lot of people I speak to, when you're in that really emotional moment and you're crying and it's just you don't want to be bothered, you want to hide. And that gives you one little thin layer Mm-hmm. those sunglasses on, I'm looking at your Belushi poster, right? <laughs> to have those, you know, the black Ray-Bans were their signature, but my whatever pair of sunglasses and put them on and I can bawl and the tears can fall and it could be my private moment because it's it's just different when somebody tries to pull you out of it and then you got to talk to them and connect yeah. and you got to be with yourself for well, a minute. Yeah, because I feel like no one knows what to say. And the common thing to say is, it's okay. And you're like, mm, it's not. It, yeah, it's it's not. not. It's not. It's yeah. not. What, uh, what does the Seaway Project have coming up? The Seaway Project. Well, t- tell me exactly what the Seaway Project ah, is. Okay, the Seaway Project is a nonprofit organization that actually my girlfriend founded in my daughter's um, name. She was deeply moved and devastated when she passed and she herself has bipolar two disorder mm-hmm. and she felt like this is it i need to May do I ask is that what seaway had no yeah. see well yes and no mm-hmm. we feel as though if had she lived long enough that would have been her diagnosis but they don't really diagnose you with bipolar at that age mm-hmm. i think they're starting to change that and looking at different markers now because um but they feel like they're just not developed enough they're, they're not young. not sure how old was she again? 15 she was 15 years old, um, and 
So the signs are there. That's probably what it would have been the diagnosis if she lived long enough, Mm -hmm. but she didn't. And, um, there were the ups and downs because the bipolar are signs of, you know, manic ups and downs, problems with sleeping. And so she was clear, a lot of gifted children, they say have depression and anxiety and Mm -hmm. she was a gifted child. And then she was a girl. So she had her period and all of her suicide attempts were around the time of her cycle. Mm. So there's this some, something else called PMDD, premenstrual diphoric disorder. Yeah. PMDD, yeah. Premenstrual diphoric disorder. So that was a possibility. Um, so it was like, uh, is it this? Is it that? You know, we'll keep watching it. We'll keep treating her. Um, all the deaths in 2009 were bad. She was hospitalized twice in 2009. So dealing with death and loss, you know, abandonment. And like she, she got it consciously that they were gone. It was like, it's nothing that she did, but there, that separation and loss, just too sudden. Didn't do well with that. At one point was like, okay, we're not going to tell her about this person's death. We're just, mm. we're just not going to tell her. Yeah. They don't live in New York. We're not going to the funeral. She doesn't need to know. She didn't have to go anymore because it was just too traumatic for her. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole purpose of the Seaway Project is, you know, me being a black female and Bossy's also a black female, but of Nigerian descent was to get rid of the stigma. And even with the overnight, people don't want to talk about mental health issues. People don't want to talk about it. And then I can only speak specifically about within the black community. It's like, oh, don't talk about that. Don't put people's business out on the street. And, you know, you always have these a sick aunt that, you know, had a nervous breakdown or, you know, she doesn't work anymore. We take care of her. And you don't understand, like, well, what happened? What's going on? We don't know what those diagnoses are. You go into a doctor's office. You can clearly check off who has diabetes, who has cancer, who has heart problems, who has all of these issues. But you have no idea what the mental wellness is of your family. Mm-hmm. You don't know if somebody dealt with depression or has a diagnosis because they're embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who married someone who was schizophrenic and like she didn't know until he had an episode and then it was like, oh, the family knew because they don't want to talk about it. People are embarrassed. There mm-hmm. needs to be a way to normalize it and get rid of the stigma. Yeah. So the big thing in July that happens, um, the first month, July, let me go back, July is Minority Mental Health Month. May was Mental Health Awareness Month. So okay. I did do I did some speaking. I always do something in May. Um, I did some lobbying in Albany, and I also spoke on a panel um, somewhere and did some workshops on suicide prevention. And then in July we have No Shame Day, and No Shame Day is a way for people to just tell their story without shame, without judgment, and um, it's all on social media, on the website. We create a way, and um, our website person is really good about she sets up another site so people can just put all their stories on and if they put the hashtag in they would trend and they show and um, we spend all day one of us at a computer kind of reading them to make sure it's appropriate Mm -hmm. and approving it to go on and so you can have access to that story and some of the most meaningful experiences and interactions we get from that are people saying that they were embarrassed by their mother who had depression or who was depressed or was bipolar or schizophrenic or 
um, had obsessive compulsive disorder or someone that has bulimia or someone who's anorexic, like all of these things, your brain's wired differently. And this is how it shows up for you mm-hmm. where it hearing other people's stories help them have more compassion mm. for the person in their life. And you're like, yeah, cause we have no idea. You know, we have no idea what it is to walk in their shoes and what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Plato quote, and I'm going to screw it up, but it's something like, you know, be kind to others for you to have no idea what battle they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is with mental health. You don't know. I'm glad I can't walk in those shoes. I don't know if I could handle it. I'd like to say I could, but I don't know. Yeah. And um, these people are amazing what they're living with, and they shouldn't have to be embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And they need to know that they are not their diagnosis. Yeah. That's something they have. It's not who they are. Yeah. And it was absolutely bossy that coined that. She's a wordsmith. She's a spoken word artist. She um, she was on tour when she had her breakdown and got her diagnosis. She was on a deaf poetry jam when mm-hmm. she was in Europe. And, uh, and it was something she made peace with and it made sense. And we talk about it a lot. You're not your diagnosis. Yeah. So, and it's like, it's important to separate that you know this is something this is an illness I'm living with Mm -hmm. and people need to get that you can't get over depression you can't get over bipolar you just can't make yourself feel better yeah you're never going to look at somebody with cancer and say get over it yeah you don't look at somebody with diabetes just go for a walk (laughs) right fine you're fine so it's it's really different and um it changes the conversation when you one accept it as an illness Mm-hmm. and uh, to look at there's different ways of getting treatment and acknowledging it and don't make that person feel embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Find ways to support them. Yeah. So that's it. No shame day, and it's and it becomes important. That's what you're calling it, no shame day? It, yeah, it's no shame day, um, and she did launch it in 2011. Is so. that the hashtag? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, the hashtag is no shame, and it's the Seaway Project. And the hard part for people is Seaway is an African name. Busi Seaway means blessing. So Seaway is actually spelled S-I-W-E. And when I've spoken to marketing people, they're like, we're going to have to find a different way to you know, get the other parts of the spellings and the website. So when people are looking for it, they'll still find it. Like there's some other things we need to do. Yeah. Because unless you're South African, you won't think of Seaway as S-I-W-E. Yeah. You know, um, because it's Busi Seaway is, is a South African name. Because I was, I was looking for a name that meant blessing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Are you South African descent? No, my family's from St. Thomas. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. But I just wanted a name that meant something. And I don't, you know, most of the American names, I don't know what the meanings are. So Mm -hmm. I was just looking through books for a name that meant blessing. Yeah. I was like, this kid's a blessing. Sule means adventurous. And that's what I was looking for. Seems pretty perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's absolutely who my baby is. Love him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, living my life openly and telling my story. So her creating this was brilliant and AFSP supports it and they generally, you know, share a blog about it to get encourage people to talk as well mm-hmm. on No Shame Day since we've been partnering with them since last year and uh, you know when I joined the board and it's been fun even meeting people at different nonprofit things. I met a woman who has a son um I don't remember what his diagnosis is, but she does have a son with a mental illness. 
and I said something about the Seaway Project, and she looked at me and said, no shame day. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. I just met this lady and she heard of us. This is cool. Oh, cool. You, you know, but it's, and it's all online. It's all social media. Yeah. But it's all the little ways that we make a difference. And the God's honest truth, no matter how other people look at it, when even people ask me to speak in different places and, you know, coming back to the Truman Capote quote, everybody says I'm a great mom. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I still lost my daughter to suicide. Mm. Now, it doesn't take away from me being a great mom, but I still have to sit with myself. It's like people are asking me to talk about this and help them with signs and what I saw and what could have I done, but I, w- I didn't succeed in that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my success is helping other people succeed when somebody else lives. Yeah. You know, knowing that, you know, somebody's kid... You know, even people at the studio know and they'll reach out to me in confidence and this is what I'm dealing with with my daughter or with my brother or with someone. And they're like, I didn't want to bother you because I was like, I always talk about this. I consider myself a resource. I think I have to. Mm-hmm. And it helps me be okay with it. And I'm happy. It was like, yeah. Her daughter was hospitalized. She was able to deal with it. She's coming to do the yoga. I help her. She helps her daughter. It's a life saved. Yeah. It's a win. Yeah. It's a win. Yeah, failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. Beautiful. We you said that right when we reached the hour mark. So you you literally did this perfectly. You nailed podcast, Dion. You nailed it. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'll put in the show notes. I'll put um, like links to the Seaway. Pro- is it SeawayProject.com? Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Anything else you want people to go look at? Um, I guess. I think everybody's been touched by suicide. So AFSP, it's the acronym for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So AFSP.org as well as the SeawayProject.org. And um, go find a Bikram Yoga Harlem studio near you and try it out. Go get some magic. Yeah, and mm. also maybe check out joyousocean.blogspot.com. Oh, yeah, that chick. You can just yeah. do joyousocean.com. Yeah, yeah that's joyousocean.com. Yep. There we go. That's me. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on. I really appreciate it. Can you say the quote, Truman Capote quote, one more time? Absolutely. Failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. Mm. Truman Capote. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dion. Namaste. Namaste. So that is Dion Monsanto, everybody. Uh, find her at joyousocean.com. Look at afsp.org, seawayproject.org. Also, Dion is on Twitter, as I said before, at Joyous Ocean. I'm on Twitter at Abigailia. All my shows are on abigailia.com. If you want to check that out, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. Share it with a friend who you might think will enjoy it. And have a beautiful week, everyone. Oh, this week's music was brought to you by, again, Vivaldi. This is the Mandolin Concerto. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Namaste. Namaste.